You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Let's have a look at a set of numbers from a JSE-listed company. The company's name is Peregrine Holdings. It's a diversified financial services group, and it came out with its annual results this morning. Uh, it announced a 7% increase in ongoing segmental earnings to 348 million rand as shareholders vote shortly on an offer which will result in the delisting of the group after 22 years on the JSC. And when I read this paragraph, I thought it was coming, Rob, after the last conversation that we had six months ago at your interim stage. It doesn't read like an obituary, but it's sort of sad for me because you were around when I was in the business, uh, you know, when Greenwich was around in the late 1990s, and you've always been a stalwart of those startups of the late 1990s and now you're going to be gone yes Lindsay. i think the i think that the main reason is that we we have seen uh, a heap load of jc companies delisting what is actually happening is that the cost benefit of being listed in a a very very difficult south african environment is just not there you know as you well know Lindsay, the reason for being listed is to be able to you know to raise capital and we're not in a position that uh, we need to be raising capital, we'd be raising capital for acquisitions. There's nothing really out there that uh, that excites us that much that 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 passes our um, acquisition criteria. And hence, we just find that you know the size that we are, um, a mid-cap financials. It's you know we're not getting the coverage that we should be getting. I think there's a dearth of of of, of analysts out there that cover the sector, and uh, mm. there's just. You know, it's just the share is not valued at where we believe it to be valued. And from a shareholder point of view, um, you know, an offer came and we, we evaluated the offer and felt we wanted to take it to shareholders and it's it's going to shareholders for formal vote approval. And once, you know, that happens and if shareholders vote to to approve the, the delisting at 21 Rand cash, uh, that will be it. Uh, and that will be the end of Peregrine's life as we know it as a listed company, as you say. It's the end of 22 years of history, and it's also the end of our twice-yearly chat, sir, Rob, which is, which is sad. But are you certain that the shareholders are going, to, are going to accept the offer? And if so, what's the timeline? Look, Lindsay, one can never be certain. We do have a, a significant amount of irrevocables such that we believe that the offer will be accepted. The first offer is a scheme offer which 75% of shareholders have to approve. If that's not accepted, it drops down to the to the general offer. So, you know, I would say that I do believe that uh, that, that 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 Peregrine shareholders will vote in favour of the scheme and uh, that, uh, you know, from, from that point of view, um, I think that that hurdle will be passed, yes. Is this a South African story or a Peregrine story or a sort of combination of the two, do you think? I, I think it's more of a combination of the two. I think you are seeing, as I said before, you know, if you go back the last two, three years, you're seeing a, a heap load of companies delisting off the JSE for for many reasons, um, amongst which I've given you as well. And the fact that, you know, we have had this offer. We have had a couple of mock charges in the past, um, quite a number, Lindsay, which have failed for various reasons. Um, this one, you know, is, is it, it has passed certainly the board and is now going to shareholders. So I think it's a combination of both. But at the end of the day, you know, the the uh, offeror is making what, what I believe a very attractive offer. Um and it's an offer that the board feel that they can take to shareholders, and uh, I think shareholders will vote in favour ultimately. Mm. Very good. As you say, it'll be the end of, of an era, but I'm sure it'll free you up and you can enjoy a less hectic life, although you'll obviously still be involved in financial services in some way. Let's look at the year that's just gone by, because I'm just looking at this and I'm saying to myself, 
Is it a tale of uh, two halves or, or 75%, 25% a split in, in earnings or performance? Because obviously the situation that we're currently in means that your earnings were probably impacted more in the last 25% of your results than the first 75 Tell us about the year in general, if you would. No, I, I don't think that that's correct. I think that we've had probably, you know, an equal first half, second half, by and large equal. Um, if you look at, uh, and the reason that you'd have that, Lindsay, is that 94% of our of our earnings are annuity earnings. Yes. So, but so, so you are not going to get lumpy annuity earnings. That's going to be, as you well know, earned throughout the year, mm-hmm. 6% of our earnings are performance fees. So we, we only got 100 million, call it, in performance fees during the year, which is which is not a heap load. Um, you know, in 2018, we actually got close to 275 million. So that number is impacted, obviously, by markets. Um, and it's becoming more and more difficult, as everybody knows, to find alpha in the market. So if you look at the at the year that's been, you know, it's and I want to compare it on an ongoing operations basis as we as we discussed in September. Um, you know, we had disposed of our securities business and of uh, you know stem prop, and we did have some residual income coming through from both of those businesses in 2019, amounting to 135 million. So we can't really compare last year's earnings to this year's earnings, but on an ongoing basis, uh, you know, we as you said, seven percent up to 348 million. And the bulk of that, the bulk of that is in Citadel, where Citadel's attributable earnings were close to 260 million. Yeah, just an interesting statistic is that on a three-year compound annual growth rate, this business Citadel has grown close to 15%, yeah. which is a remarkable number in a, in a very difficult environment. And it just goes to show the seemingly counter-cyclical business uh, that Citadel is. It, it's an advice-led business. It's less dependent on performance fees. But really, what so so, so the, the the bulk of Peregrine's earnings are now coming from from Citadel. As you know, in the past we have now disposed of our securities business and uh, and the proprietary assets. So what we are left with basically is Citadel, Stenham, Peregrine Capital, and and and, and Java Capital, which Citadel is by far. A, we own it 100%, and B, it is the biggest business in the group. So when we talk results, in answer to your question, you know, Citadel is the is the is the dominant player in the stable, and the rest of the businesses have done fine. You know, the the business that went a little bit backwards has been Java Capital. It's a small business. It made you know at an attributable level 13 million for us last year. Did 15, but you know it's an advisory business. It's still rated um, on a relative basis to its peers amongst the top as it's always been. The only problem that that business has is that due to the significant decrease in activity in South African corporate. Um, you know that business has marched in step with that decrease uh, in in activity, and and the results the results reflect it. You know, if you quantify what I've just said in 2018, cap raises by that business was 24 billion, and in this year it's been less than four. And uh, transactions advised on was 95 and down to 31. But you know, in the deal maker rankings to March, they're still first by deal flow sponsor and investment uh, advisors, and fourth by value. So that that relative to to its peers, it's still holding, but on an absolute basis, it, 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 it's suffering along with many, 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 many other South African businesses. Yes. So that's really where, where the businesses are. Okay. Let's talk about Citizens just briefly because it's almost as though it's defensive in the sense that 
when times are tough, people tend to need to be guided and led and advised. So your performance, oh, you've, you've got a good brand, and let's face it, Citadel is a good brand. I speak to your commentators on a regular basis, and they're always very erudite, always very articulate, always very compelling, always very believable. And so I would imagine that someone with a couple of million with you uh, during the times that we've just gone through and might still go through for the rest of the year, they'll phone up their Citadel financial advisor and say, what on earth is going on? What should I do? Have you found that? Lindsay, I, I think it's fair to say that the kind of people who invest in Citadel are need the advice. That's why they come to us, because there is an extra layer of costs, namely the advice fee, which we do pay. But we, 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 we don't hide away from it, and that is what our business is. So typically, if you go to a long-only asset manager there wouldn't be the advice fee because you're not getting advice. You're investing in the product to 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 get a return. In Citadel, you're actually getting advice. So that advice uh, element that you're referring to takes place throughout the year in good and bad times. Mm. So if your question is, are we seeing more of it? Yes. It's early days and perhaps we're seeing a little bit more of it, but nothing major because the, these are long-term investments um, and relationships. And we've always told the people that, you know, markets don't go up in a linear progression and they're going to be tough times and they're going to be easier times. But our portfolios, by and large, are conservatively positioned and our clients know that in a roaring bull market, they'll do perhaps a little bit less than the market and in the bear market, they'll do better than the, than the market. And, that, and that's, that's what we, we advise our clients. We are not swinging the bat and we want client, clients to have enough money to be able to comfortably rely on and that is what that's what we want that's what we've always been and that's what we always will be and that's what we are um you know the the uh the litmus test for us in this business when there's a, there's a heap out of different matrices that we, we run the business on namely client retention uh, core margin um inflows outflows aum etc but for me, the biggest one that I look at is client retention. And our client retention is a remarkable 98%. It means that 98% of our clients are staying with us. And the other 2% so, died. No, not necessarily. The 2%, sometimes they do leave. Sometimes, you know, they don't like the advice or the advice is too expensive. There's a reason. There's, there's, there's reasons why people leave. Um, but, you know, 90% are staying and 90% are happy. And, uh, you know, it's been like that. You know, over many, many years, we've had in the high 90-year retention ratio. So, you know, I think what, what is happening is that people are beginning to to realize that in that, you know, with, with, with a lack of bull markets, not everyone's a Warren Buffett, and they do need to go to to a safe house, which is uh, which is Citadel. We're never going to shoot the lights out in performance because we just don't want to swing the bat. And, you know, if you look at our performance fees, you know, over the last four years, in 2017, our performance fees were about 20 million rand. In 2018, about 50. Mm. Last year, about 42. And the year that's just been 37. So, you know, our performance fees are very, very low in accordance to to the annuity flows, which is vice versa. So, we are not we are not out there swinging the bat, as evidenced by that. You know, there are other businesses in the Peregrine Group which are predicated on getting alpha, and clients who invest in those businesses invest in those businesses not for the asset advice part. They invest in those businesses for performance fees, and, and, the, and those are completely different models. But in this business, which you're talking about, it's not a performance fee game. No. Okay, well, let's talk about asset management. How, how tough has it been? How has it performed when it comes to performance fees? Uh, it, it, Lindsay, it's, listen, it, 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 there's no question about it. It's, it's, it's a difficult uh, environment. Mm -hmm. 
You know, if we look at if we look at the the track record, and you've been covering Peregrine a a very very long time, you you so you you know the guys there. If I just give you two of the bigger funds, okay, the um, the biggest fund, which is the high growth fund, which has approximately seventy five percent of the assets, over a twenty year period, the compound growth rate in that fund is close to twenty five percent, which is which is remarkable. Mm. Um, the, well, the smaller fund is the market neutral, which is the pure hedge fund over a 22-year period has done just over 20%. So, so you know, over, over you, got, you can't judge a hedge fund over a month or two. Or, having said that, you know, post-year-end, the, the funds have done very, very well. But for the year that's passed, they've done well. They've done better than, they've done better than, uh, than the um, benchmarks, but it's been difficult. There was, you know, there weren't significant performance fees earned in the final quarter of the, of the financial year. Um, but you know we knew it. Markets are very, very tough, and the and the search for yield and alpha is getting more and more difficult. But you know one thing I have absolute confidence of, and that the guys who are running that business are amongst the best in in town, as evidenced by a superb track record over over many, many, many years. So yeah, in answer to your question, it it, it is difficult. There's no question about it. Um, but you know the guys are doing what hedge fund managers are doing, and that is getting alpha um, in long and short positions and doing significantly better than benchmarks, I might add. I'm going to have to take advantage of you because this could be the last time we meet with you as a listed company and you as the CEO and CFO of that company. What's the future of financial services? I mean, here you are potentially leaving the JSE Securities Exchange. 91 has just come in. Do you think it's going to the bigger companies? Do you think the small players are going to fall by the way? So I'm not saying you're small, but you're small to medium-sized, I, I would characterize you as. In South Africa, with less money around, less corporate activity, is, is there a future? I think, I think it's a very wide question you're going to answer. And just forgive me for having the license to just spend a little bit of time going through a wider answer to your question. Go for it. I think, I think if your answer is in two parts. Number one, I don't think it's only financial services. I think the index trackers are just pouring more and more money into the bigger uh, companies on the index. I think that there's a dearth of, of, of people in coverage in South Africa, and hence the smaller listeds like us are not seeing the natural flows of money into our shares simply because the coverage isn't there. I remember 10 years ago versus today, who's around and which houses aren't even just doing in coverage anymore. So what's actually happening is that I think that that's, that's problem number one. So if one is listed to raise money and use your script as, as, as a currency, we're not finding that, or we, we do believe that, there, there, that, there's, a, that there's, there's a diminution in value because of that, Okay. Um, and it's, we felt that that's been away for a long time. We felt that the Peregrine price has been undervalued for a while now. Okay, so that's that's a, a piece of the answer. Uh, you know, is there a place for boutique managers? There always will be a place for boutique managers, and there'll be a place for boutique managers for two reasons. Number one is that we have some exceptional talent out there, both within Peregrine and within the wider South African financial services market, where people don't want to work in the big corporates. Mm. Okay, I do come from the big corporates. I spent 10 years at one of the big banks. And there's a very different mentality working at one of the big financial institutions and working in in a business like Peregrine. Okay? And both have their advantages and both have their disadvantages. But it's not, but, but 
to work in the one of the big institutions is not for everybody, and it's certainly not for everybody to work at a peregrine. So what I'm saying is that there are certain people who will always do well in a big institution and others who will always do well in a smaller, more entrepreneurial institution. Okay. So I think that from a people point of view, there will always be a place for the boutique financial services house. And from a client point of view as well, some clients like to be with a smaller operation. They just feel that um, for who they are, the smaller boutique is better than being at a big institution. So, yes, I do believe that there is always a place for smaller boutique financial services. Whether they'll be listed or not, that's a different discussion. My, my, my view as I speak to you now is that the appetite for listed smaller boutiques coming onto the market will be muted for the next foreseeable future for the yeah. reasons which I've given I think so too. And very, very final question. You've told me off air before we started this conversation that you'd been in the office. You had a special dispensation that you're you allowed to go into the office and you chose to do so rather than work from home. But do you think that the business, the way that we've done business from an office and going to see clients, I mean, you might have one of your chaps flying down to see a client in Cape Town or something like that and staying overnight at a hotel and then coming back the next day. Do you think those days are gone or are they just long on gone. hold? Lindsay, long gone, long gone. And, I'll, and, I'm, and I'm going to tell you why um, in our experience over the last 10 weeks. Almost everybody in the group has been working from home. Yes. Okay. There's no one. I'm the only person at head office. Um and the reason that I've been working at a head office simply is that my youngest daughter is at varsity and I wanted to get out the house. Okay. So it was good for the marriage and good for, for everybody <laughs> that I was at head office. Thank you for okay. sharing that personal detail with us, but I understand. Go no, on. But that's the reason. Okay. Right. Uh, it's not for any other reason. And why it's important to know is that almost everybody else in the Peregrine Group has been working from home and we have internationally, so it's locally and internationally, we have been um, fully operative with, you know, we've had to go out and buy a couple of extra laptops and, uh, you know, do a couple of things in from the IT side to get operative. But one wouldn't really have any discernible difference uh, in output working from home or from the office. If anything, it's been much better. One of our corporate finance advisors uh, was with me this morning. Uh, we were on a on a market call, and he actually said to me that. He actually finds working from home to be infinitely better because where he'd get in his car and drive to a client in Rosebank, get there 10 minutes early, have a half an hour meeting, get in his car, come back to the office. All of that takes two hours and then it's lunch. And then he, he mills around the office and he's lost three hours of the day. Mm. Whereas at home, uh, it's, it's infinitely more productive. So I think what we're all seeing and feeling here in, in the Peregrine Group and it's, I think it's a, it's a view shared by many of my peers, is that whilst there's not a total uh, rejection of the office environment, I, I think that the office environment does suit does does serve many many uh, positive reasons and suit a lot of people. Um, people are finding that certainly in financial services, we're not in ball bearing manufacture as you well know. In financial services, one can. Um, work very, very efficiently remotely. Zoom is unbelievable. You know, the, you, 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 you're almost with the person in the room. Yes. We use uh, uh, Zoom quite a lot. Um, and uh, funny enough, actually, the, the attentiveness of Zoom is, 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 is more efficient than meetings because in meetings you can do your own thing and you can, you know, drift out. Yeah, in Zoom, you've got to be, you know. You're right scrutinized, aren't you? Yeah, you have to, you have exactly to stay, you right. have to stay alert, uh, which I don't, which I can't do. Hmm. 
you've got to stay very alert. So actually, in answer to your question, we're actually finding that we are very, very effective working remotely. Um, but it's not, you know, I don't think it's long-term sustainable that everyone will be able to remote, re work remotely forever. What we are also experiencing is people are beginning to think of, you know, a combination of the two. We are, uh, certain of our businesses are experimenting with some people coming to the office on a one or two days a week and vice versa. So you have a rotation of people into offices. What we are, we've got a business moving into our head office and they want significantly less space than they earn, than they, than they, than they, than they, they um, rented before hot desking is beginning to come more and more uh, more and more prevalent and when you have to have a face-to-face -face meeting there'll be a meeting room to have that face-to-face -face meeting so i actually don't believe that from a corporate point of view worldwide we're going to go back to the status quo ante but i equally don't believe that corporate offices are a thing of the past never to be uh, to be repeated maybe what you should do is just get people together once a month either for a, a couple of drinks on a friday or something like that so that there is that human contact and you do know the the face that goes with the voice in case people forget otherwise people become agoraphobic uh, they become sociophobic as well so i think you've got to combine a little bit of human contact with also all the things well, that, that you just uh, described Maybe. I don't know. You know, Lindsay, a very interesting thing I'd want to share with you, and I was reading this in The Economist a few weeks back, and they were the, the, um, the article was exactly what, uh, what the question that you had asked. And one of the uh, people interviewed in The Economist actually said that, very interesting take, he said that corporate offices are always going to have to be there mm. because people are, need to be different from outside the home. And that's an interesting take. They need to be someone else. And you can almost be a someone else in the corporate office. It's almost as though I'm just thinking of a comedy show that I watched once. It's when two worlds collide. So it would be you'd have the annual you have the annual party or the results presentation or something, and it would be wives and partners or husbands and partners would be invited, and everyone gets a little bit nervous because those two worlds are colliding. You've got the business exactly world right. and you've got the personal world, but occasionally the, you've got to collide those things. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, my own wife says I'm two different people, one in the office at one at home. So there you go, you know. <laughs> mm. Anyway, Rob, thanks so much for the chat and all the chats over the years that we've had. And maybe we'll have one more, but maybe we'll also have Rob Katz in a completely different guise and we'll, um, we'll be chatting to each other for some other reason in the future. Robert Katz is the Chief Executive and Chief Financial Officer at Peregrine, whose annual results were released earlier today. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.